We are considering these weeks the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. We're still in chapter 1. We've been looking together at some thoughts concerning this portion of God's holy word and focusing particularly as we ended up last Lord's Day on the necessity of prayer and the efficacy of prayer. The Apostle Paul often referred to prayer and praying in his epistles. Uh, For example, he asked his hearers or his readers to pray for him. But he also assured his readers that he was praying for them. There is a reciprocity here. There is this mutual effect that salvation has upon God's people that they pray for one another. The preacher for the people, the people for the preacher. And Paul knew this, and Paul would have agreed with the one in Tennyson's book, King Arthur, when he is on his deathbed and says to his friend, Pray for my soul, for more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. It is no vain thing to wait upon the Lord. Paul recognized this, and that's why he himself prayed. That's why he sought prayer from others. Now in this respect, the Apostle Paul is a great model for ministers. If you're going to set somebody up as an inspiration for men in the ministry, you could do no better than to use the Apostle Paul as Exhibit A. Preachers can learn so much from the way this man conducted his ministry, and especially his ministry in prayer. Now let's go back to the book of Acts. And let's start at the very beginning of Paul's Christian life. In the book of Acts chapter 9, we're introduced to this man. Actually, we're introduced to him in chapter 8, where he is overseeing the death of Stephen. He's keeping the coats, the garments of those who stoned that man of God to death. But it goes on into chapter 9, telling us about Saul, as he was, Saul of Tarsus, engaging in this pogrom against God's people. He was involved in a program of persecution. He was hailing men and women to prison. He was bringing them to Jerusalem that they might be put in jail or worse. And of course, while he's traveling, the Bible tells us here in Acts chapter 9 that there was a sudden shining of a light from heaven round about. That he fell to the earth And he heard a voice calling to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And his immediate reaction was, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, verse 6, or verse 5 of of Acts 9, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, verse 6, What wilt thou have me to do? And it all started from there. This is Paul willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do. And God had a great future for this man in ministry. May not have looked at like that at the time to the Christians. But God was going to make this man a great vessel to his honor. 
So at the Lord's own command, he goes into the city. He meets a man called Ananias. And at the same time, Ananias is told by the Lord, in verse 11, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Now that's a really significant statement. Behold, he prayeth. If you think about Saul, he was already a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. This is a man who would have said his prayers every day. He would have been involved in devotional activity every single day. So what does the Lord mean when he says, Behold, look, he's praying. Well, what the Lord means by that is he's not saying his prayers now. He's not engaging in religious devotion as a bigoted Jew. He's really praying. He's really begun to seek the Lord. Behold, he prayeth. And from that time, there commenced a ministry of prayer. And we haven't time to go through the whole New Testament to to consider everything in this regard. But if you go on to chapter 13 of the book of Acts, you'll find the Apostle Paul at the very beginning of that chapter. He's still referred to as Saul here. And he's in the church at Antioch, along with certain prophets and teachers. They're mentioned here, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul. And notice verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So here's Paul in a prayer meeting. And he sent forth from that prayer meeting to do a great work as a missionary and an evangelist. Just flip over to chapter 16 now. Where do we find this man? Well, we find him in chapter 16, engaging in ministry. And the Bible tells us that in verse number 13 in the city of Macedonia, on the Sabbath, they went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. That means they had a regular Prayer service there. It was something that was their regular habit. Prayer was wont to be made. This is something that they did regularly. And notice, we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. It mentions Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. Talks about her getting baptized and her household. And then in verse 16, it says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer. A certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us. And so there was this engaging of Paul by the devil, this challenge by Satan. But notice where it happened as they went to prayer. Paul joined those ladies in the prayer meeting. You go further and you see in the same chapter 16, when Paul and Barnabas were thrown in jail, They had stripes on their backs. They were suffering for the Lord. They're not murmuring and complaining. They're not saying, what an awful, terrible situation I'm in. I wish I wasn't here. It says at midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas prayed 
and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They're praying. Paul's a man of prayer. You come to chapter 20, and there he's with the Lord's people. He's about to take his leave of them. And it says in chapter 20, verse 36, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. So he had another impromptu prayer meeting with the people of God before he left them. And then you come to chapter 27. And Paul is an example to all of us. When we're going to eat our food, we don't just get tore in like pigs. But we stop and we thank the Lord for our food. We give thanks. That's what Paul did. And we read of this, that when they were together, these men who were, as they thought, going to be destroyed by the shipwreck, but they weren't. The Lord was looking after them. The Bible says that these men were afraid to eat. They continued fasting. But in verse 34, Paul said, Wherefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. You're going to be all right. The Lord's going to take care of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. My wife and I were just remarking one day, recently we saw a couple of elderly men with an afflicted child. And before they ate their meal, they held hands and they bowed to pray. And I thought, that's a testimony. What a wonderful thing that is. That people take time out to give thanks to the Lord. This is the kind of man that Paul was. He was a man of prayer. And as I've said, you look at the epistles, the various epistles of Paul, and all the mentions of prayer that there are. His own praying. His desire for their praying for him. How vital did he believe was the prayer life of a child of God and of a man of God. Paul prayed for those to whom he preached. How essential that is. I give you a quote last Lord's Day. I'll repeat it from Charles Bridges. He said this, and I quote, We shall find that our most successful hours of employment for our people were not those when we were speaking to them from God, but when we were speaking for them to God. What a challenge to every man of God to be one who prays for his people. Now as we look at the prayer of Paul for the Colossians, and this is particularly what we're looking at tonight, he says in chapter 1, And verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that. Then you have these various requests. And as we look at this prayer for the Colossians, one thing that comes before me right away is that we should think about where Paul prayed for them. Where did he pray for them? Look at chapter 2, verse 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul is really saying here, in in other words, I'm not there. I'm not physically present with you. 
But I am with you in spirit. My heart is with you. At that time, Paul was separated from the congregation in Colossae. He wasn't there. He was in jail. Chapter 4, verse 3 points out that the end of that verse, I am also in bonds. I am also in bonds. He was in fetters. He was actually chained to some Roman soldiers. Separated from God's people, but it was not a case of out of sight, out of mind. He wasn't there in jail feeling sorry for himself, thinking only about himself. He's thinking about God's people. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, he's in a place of affliction and hardship. It's difficult. It's hard. But he's not wallowing in self-pity. He's not sitting there feeling sorry for himself. He's lifting his heart unto the Lord and he's praying for God's people. Paul, even in a tough circumstance. And it was, by the way, it's not like the jails today. I'm not saying it's a good thing to go to prison, but prisons now are like holiday camps. They're like... uh, Motels compared to what Paul would have been in. Television, several square meals a day, exercise in the yard, ball games. Some prisoners are able to do studies. They study law. They study various things. Some of them come out a lot smarter than they went in because they've had time to study and get degrees and all the rest of it. All at the taxpayer's expense, of course. But Paul was not in a good situation. If you saw what a Roman prison was like, you would say, I do not want to be there even for one day. But Paul was there for quite a long time. And yet we look at this prayer and consider where Paul was. He was in prison. He was in a tough set of circumstances. He still remembered others and still prayed for them. No matter how things get for you. No matter how bad they may get for you, always remember to pray for others. The second thing I note is why he prayed in this fashion for that church. Why did he pray for the church? Look at verse 9. The first part of that verse gives us a clue. For this cause, since the day we heard it. Heard what? Well, verse 7 and verse 8. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras gave a report to Paul in prison about the Colossian church, about their spiritual condition, about what was going on in the city of Colossae. Paul had learned of this man of God about the spiritual circumstances of the Colossians. And therefore he prayed and he he could thank God for the good news of their progress and the things of God. When he thought about the Colossians, their faith in Christ and their love to the people of God, Paul was really encouraged. There's a congregation of people who are really going on with the Lord. And he took that to the Lord in prayer and thanked the Lord for their progress in spiritual things. But as well as that, he knew of the serious danger that faced them from false teachers. Epaphras gave that report, no doubt. There are men creeping into Colossae, bringing in their nonsense, bringing in their falsehoods. 
The congregation is in great peril from these men, the Gnostics and others. They're in danger of turning them away from Christ and the gospel. These were people seeking to infiltrate the church with their false doctrines. And that still happens in faithful churches. The Lord talks about those who crept in unawares. Like creepy crawlies, like insects that work away in the dark to undermine the work of God. So what did Paul do about that? He prayed about it. He prayed for the preservation of the Lord's people. He prayed that these false gospelers would not be allowed to proceed any further. Paul himself couldn't be there to deal with them. He would have given them short shrift if he had been there. He wouldn't have put up with their nonsense for a single moment. But he wasn't there. He was absent from them. But he could pray. He could pray. And that's what we can do when we feel that we're in circumstances where we can't really physically do anything to affect circumstances that people are in. We can pray for them. And this is what Paul did. But furthermore, I want you to notice what Paul prayed for them. You see the kind of praying that he did? He mentions it in verse 9 down to verse 11 of chapter 1. I do not cease to pray for you and to desire. And of course, that's what prayer is. Prayer is spoken desires. God puts a desire in your heart and you articulate that in words. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, that they might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Note that what Paul prayed for them was primarily of a spiritual nature. I'm sure there were people in Colossae with physical problems. I'm sure there were those that were there that had other kinds of difficulties and problems that we all have in life. But his concern, first and foremost, was for their spiritual welfare. And as we look at these requests, and we will be looking at them in more detail in a future message, every one of these is a spiritual petition. A spiritual petition. He's not praying about silly things. He's praying about things that really matter. As I say in due course, we're going to look at these in more detail. But I think we learn from that that these are the kinds of matters that we need to be focusing our praying upon as we intercede for God's people. How often do we pray for one another spiritually? For the spiritual welfare of other Christians? Using the kinds of requests and the kinds of petitions that Paul uses. But let's move on. There's a record given as well of when Paul prayed for them. When did he pray for them? Well, verse 9 makes that clear, doesn't it? We do not cease to pray for you. The praying was constant. 
and it was consistent. He continued to pray. Of course, he asked them and urged them to continue praying. Chapter 4 and verse number 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. But what Paul told other people to do, he did himself. He didn't stop praying. His praying was consistent and it was constant. How often our praying is by fits and starts. How often our praying is a bit spotty. Sometimes we pray a lot, sometimes we hardly pray at all. And it's a simple point, is it not? But it's one to remember here that we must, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. This is a principle that is taught everywhere in the Bible when it comes to prayer. It's something that has to continue. Our Lord actually spoke a parable uh, for this end, with this goal in mind. Luke chapter 18 verse 1. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I love how that is translated by a free translation. That men ought always to pray and not to cave in. It's a really good way to put it, isn't it? Not to cave in. Or to give up. You know how that is. You throw your hands in the air and just give up. The Lord doesn't want us to do that. The Lord wants us to keep praying. He wants us to press on in prayer. We ought always to pray and not to faint. When I was a child in Sunday school, one of the first songs we ever learned was, Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times, even when they had him cast in the den of lions. In the den, in the den, fears could not alarm him. God just shut the lions' mouths so they could not harm him. He was a man of prayer. Interesting that he prayed three times. The psalmist David said, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and thou shalt hear my voice. The Apostle Paul lived in the atmosphere of prayer. Notice what he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Without ceasing, night and day. Is that how we pray? When do we pray? Spurgeon wrote a wonderful devotional book called Morning and Evening. If you don't have it, you should get it. It's a great blessing. And it's so amazing to me. It's the same with the checkbook of the Bank of Faith. Sometimes the reading there just speaks to your circumstances that day. And you're thinking, how could that, how could that be? Well, it's because the Lord knows the end from the beginning. The Lord orders these things. And the Lord guides and directs men. To write certain things. To minister to our hearts. Just when we need to be ministered to. And there are times when I've read a devotional. And I've had to do like a double take. and think, Really? That's what's been on my mind today. 
How did Spurgeon know that living 170 some years ago or whatever it was that he wrote this? Well, he didn't. But the Lord guided his pen. Oh, how important it is because Spurgeon recognized that morning and evening. How important it is to be regular in our habits of seeking the Lord. It was said of Robert Murray McShane that he would get up in the mornings and he would pull back the drapes or the curtains in his room and he would say, Perhaps today, Lord. Perhaps today. Bishop Taylor Smith, it is said that he used to wake up in the morning and be lying on his bed. And before he ever got up, he used to say, Lord, this bed is an altar. This body is the sacrifice. Now, Lord, send the fire. And then he would get up and go about his daily business. Another great preacher, when he would retire at night, just before he put the light out and went to sleep, he used to say, Good night, Lord, on the same old terms. Good night, Lord, on the same old terms. We should live in the atmosphere of prayer, walking with God, talking with God, speaking with God, every moment of every day. You don't have to be spending hours and hours on your knees wondering what you're going to pray about. Be in the atmosphere of prayer all day long. Shooting up prayers to the Lord all the time. Walking with Him. Talking with Him. And sometimes you go for a, a walk with somebody. You don't do all the talking. At least, hopefully you don't. Hopefully there's a, a, an interaction. Sometimes they'll say something. Sometimes you'll say something. Then you answer them. Then they answer you. That's how we should be with the Lord. As we read His Word, we let Him speak to us, and then we speak to Him. And whatever the Word suggests to our hearts, we bring to Him in prayer. That's a two-way thing. God speaks to us, we speak to Him. That's how Paul was with the Lord. He walked with God. When did he pray? He prayed without ceasing. What did I notice in the fifth place? The way Paul prayed for them. And again, I think this is something that we extrapolate from the text. In chapter 1, verse 9, he said, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I think it's clear that there was urgency in his praying. Since the day we heard it. Whatever it was that Epaphras told him about the Colossian church, it caused Paul to get on his knees and to cry out to the Lord for them. There was urgency there in his praying. One preacher put it this way, as soon as Paul knew the condition of the church at Colossae, he translated that news into prayer. And that reminds me very much of an Old Testament character, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was working as the king's cupbearer. He was the man who, as we've often said, got the opportunity to taste the food and the drink before the king. If it was poisoned, Nehemiah was in trouble. They didn't want the king to die, so they always had somebody to taste the food first, so that it was safe for him to eat. That's what it meant, the king's cupbearer. 
That's how he was employed. So here he is. He talks about the time. And he's in chapter 2, Nehemiah, verse 1. In the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, he said that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been of before time sad in his presence, wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city... The place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. See, this takes us back to chapter 1, where one of his brothers had given him this bad news. In verse 3 of chapter 1, The remnant left of the captivity in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Nehemiah When he heard that news, he did something. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And again in chapter 2, when the king asked him what he was going to do, the king said, What what do you want to do? What's your request? Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Right there. As is in the presence of the king, he shoots this prayer up to the Lord. He says, Lord, what am I to do? He prayed about it. There was urgency in his praying when he realized what was going on in his home country. Do we know anything of this urgency in our praying? In the book of Acts chapter 4, and again in Acts chapter 12, we have two instances of situations that caused great anxiety in the Lord's people, but it created urgency in their praying. Acts 4, verse 23 and 24, it tells us that being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. What did they say to them? They said, well, you're not to speak any more in the name of Jesus or you're in trouble. So what did they do? Verse 24 of Acts 4. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and they said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And they said in verse 29, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto Thy servants that with all boldness they may speak Thy word. Lord, help us not to be concerned about their threats, but to continue to preach the gospel. They prayed about it. Acts chapter 12. Peter was kept in prison. The Lord's servant James had already been martyred. Herod had cut off his head with the sword. Now he was going to do this to Peter. What did the church do? They didn't go outside Herod's residence with placards. They went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, and they prayed. They took it to the Lord in prayer. There was great urgency. And it says, many were gathered together praying. And soon Peter was led out of prison, and we know the rest. The way Paul prayed, there was urgency in his praying. The way Paul prayed, 
there was unity in his praying. What do I mean by that? Well, he uses a collective pronoun here, if you'll notice. He says, since the day, verse 9, we heard it. So I think he's including here his present company. Others of the Lord's servants were with him in that prison. And they were praying together for the Lord's people. It reminds me again of Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. There it says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So Paul definitely prayed personally and privately and individually, just as Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, Thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Pray to thy Father which is in secret, thy Father which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. It's right and it's proper to pray on your own. But notice Paul also believed in collective praying. He believed in the prayer meeting. I've already given instances of this from the book of Acts. I'll not repeat those verses. But how vital it is that the church meets to pray. This is a great ministry. It's just as important a ministry, I would judge, and I would certainly estimate that it's more important even than any evangelism that we do. Because any evangelism that we do will be fruitless without prayer. You seek to go forth without praying? That's presumption. Thinking that things will just happen as a matter of course just because we're doing it. Second Chronicles 20 verses 3 and 4 tells us, that Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Think about that. The people of his nation all gathered to do what? To pray. Great prayer meeting that took place. Because you see, they recognized that the battle was not theirs, but God's. They didn't know what they were going to do. You can look at the context of Second Chronicles 20. They had no idea what they were going to do. We read that in verse 12 of Second Chronicles 20. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. They were praying about it because they had no idea what they were supposed to do. And the Lord gave them the answer in prayer. He said, the battle is not yours, but God's. Go out tomorrow against them. You'll not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. The Lord's going to intervene. God's going to answer prayer. God does answer prayer. And there are many instances that we can give in Scripture that teach this. Let us not neglect the place of prayer. Now these are all basic truths that we know. And yet sadly we constantly have to be reminded of these things. Lord teach us to pray. Just as we bring this to a close, Paul's ministry of prayer for others. Isn't it a great encouragement when 
another believer says to you, I'm praying for you. I know it is to me. I've been in circumstances, maybe back preaching in one of the churches in Northern Ireland. Someone will come up to me after the service and say, Brother, I pray for you every single day. What an encouragement that is. I pray for you every single day. That is a great blessing. We sang it earlier. I'm praying for you. And isn't it especially heartwarming when the person who says that to you, I'm praying for you, is a notable prayer warrior. It's somebody that you know will pray. They're not just saying it. It's not just, you know, shooting the breeze, something to say to you. They really mean it. And so the Colossians, they're hearing this, they're reading this from the beloved apostle. They're getting this letter from this man of God. They know what kind of a giant he is spiritually. What a sense of encouragement they must have gotten from that letter. When Paul says, I don't cease to pray for you. Don't you think that would help them in their service for the Lord in Colossae? The Apostle Paul's not here, but he's praying for us. This man of prayer is seeking God on our behalf. Paul told them that. That he was praying for them. And that's another lesson that we need to learn. Yeah, you may pray for other people, but you should tell them. Tell them. Brother, sister, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. What a great tonic that is. Often to the heart of a child of God. May the Lord help us all to be men and women of prayer. May the Lord help us to seek his face. Because he does, and he will answer prayer.